Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between healthcare workers and first responders and everything in between. This week has just flown by and I'm just so proud of the clients that I have and the goals that they're crushing for 2022 and I just had my first webinar on how to become a flight nurse yesterday and the people in attendance just had such great questions and um it was just really uh, nice to be able to be that person to be able to answer those questions for them so that they can pursue you know, their goal and their dream of eventually getting into flight nursing. And we are going to be having an- another webinar. It's going to be March 4th, noon to 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, I'm going to be joined by our guest today on this interview, Ray. He is a flight paramedic. Um, He has been a paramedic for 13 years and a flight paramedic for 10, and I'm excited to have him on the next webinar as he will be representing how to be a flight paramedic, and again, I will be talking about how to become a flight nurse. Um, This interview today, he speaks on the need to just go back to the basics and have a basic foundation on your skills when you advance to a paramedic, and I really liked this idea because I agree so much that Um, Even as nurses and both as paramedics, we have to remember just the basic foundation and skills of what we're learning as we continue to grow and we continue to learn new things um, every day. And he also talks about the need to just have teamwork and constantly learn and grow in everything that we're doing as we are the drivers of our learning experience. And you'll get to hear a little bit about a personal fight that we got on um, over a call when we were partners and how we learned just over the years to resolve conflict quickly to meet the common goal of the mission and for our patients. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Ray. Hey, Ray, thanks for joining me this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I could join you and finally make the time. I know. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what your background is and what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, so I am a flight paramedic uh, with one of the local programs here, and um, I've been doing it in June. It'll be 10 years. I've been flying for 10 years. I started out um, as an EMT basic for four years, went to medic school, and then been a paramedic here in the Central Valley for thir- 13 13 years. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's I currently just a flight medic. I did ground most of the third uh, about most of the 13 years I did ground and then got in the flight and kind of did both. But now it's just I'm concentrating solely on flight. Yeah. And tell us about for the paramedics out there who are wondering, like, how do you get into flight nursing? Is that something like they need to be looking at early on as far as um, getting more um critical patients or like what kind of experience and what is required for them if they want to get into flight nursing? So um, if you're look, if they're looking into getting, uh, becoming a flight paramedic, it's really a lot of programs. Well, as far as I know, you have to be an EMT basic for a certain amount of time first. Um, some programs are a year, two years. Um, I did mine in Southern California and you had to be a EMT for at least a couple years before you even went into paramedic school. And what what you want and, and what you need and what you want are kind of two different things. So what you need is a bare minimum, right? And you and when you're going through this stuff, 
that's fine. Um, but you always want more before you get into these programs. So an EMT basic for a couple of years, I would recommend in a 911 system or a busy emergency department. And I believe those are ED techs. They're called a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, and then your medic school really depends on where you go. Mine was 14 months long. Um, there are programs that are six months long. I recommend, like I was working at the time, uh, I was working full time and going to medic school. So I liked the 14 months because it was um, three to four days a week. And then, and then I could have a job still working full time. Um, so it kind of depends what, what your situation is at the time. Uh, and then once you're done with paramedic school, you just hop on a company and you want somewhere that's a busy 911 system again, because you need three years as a paramedic in a busy 911 or a busy emergency department um, to really get in. And, and these interviews are um, really difficult. Some companies are worse than others, but that is what you need. What you want is to continue your education throughout the time as an EMT basic to paramedic. Now, the way I did it, I was kind of a nerd. The, the way I did it, I was uh, an EMT. And then before I even went into paramedic school, I took an EKG course. I took advanced cardiac life support. I took pediatric advanced life support, and I took anatomy and physiology. So by the time I got in the paramedic school, it was, I wouldn't say easy. It was easier. When we got into cardiac rhythms, I didn't have to really study as hard as others that didn't take the course. Um, and then once you get done with your paramedic license, I, it's important, and this is what I tell all new paramedics, is that just because you have your paramedic license, don't stop the education. Mm -hmm. Because if you continue on with the education, these flight programs are really difficult as far as there's some that want you to know what a normal ground paramedic doesn't know. And if you haven't studied any of that stuff, um, then it's going to be more difficult. And a lot of the questions I asked when I, I interviewed some paramedics for the job was I asked, what did you do to prepare yourself for this job? And that's a big thing for me, because if someone shows that they've went outside and done stuff on their own conferences or just reading a textbook or anatomy physiology it shows that they really want that job and that's what i would recommend as far as getting into a flight and the flight programs again they want three years experience in a busy 911 system that way they know that you've had difficult patients that you know the concept of these um, disease processes yeah and what would you say to the paramedics, because I know, you know, expectations are the same for flight nurses and flight paramedics as far as knowledge and what we need to know um, for the application process where our company specifically has a critical care test that you have to take. And so what would you say to those paramedics um, as far as like the content that they have to know on that? Like, how do they go out there and kind of get that experience um, that they don't have being a nurse working in the hospital, but they're expected to have the knowledge of some of these drips and medications and thing ventilator management that's going on in these critical care tests that are part of the application process. Yeah, so it's easier now than when I started. When I started, it was pretty much all self-study. 
I bought books, bought a program and just started studying on my own. Now they actually have, and they, and they promote more, the, these, these programs are expensive. I mean, you'll pay $300 for a hundred hour program, mm-hmm. but it's going to give that paramedic the basic knowledge of what they're expected to know. Mm-hmm. And I would say really the, you, your lab values as other than a glucose in the field, us paramedics don't really, we'll look at lab values and it'll say normal and the range, but we don't study them. And we don't really, we don't really decide, okay, this guy's low on sodium. He needs this or that or high on potassium. We don't really get into that where these programs will tell you, Hey, you know, these are the meds for high potassium, low potassium, or these are, this is what can happen if that happens. Yeah. Um, and it gets more, you know, lab values. It is difficult. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Um, I luckily like took a physiology class and, and anatomy class to help me also. Um, but definitely these, these programs will go through all that. They'll go through, um, the, uh, the laws, Boyle's law, all that stuff. And they'll go through the, the, some of the drips, not all of them. A lot of it you learn on the job, but as long as you know, what the drip does you don't have to know specifics Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um they go through ventilator management um a lot of more advanced cardiac support like balloon pumps or impellas and these programs do that so you know you can just research on the internet how to become a flight paramedic and i've done it before and i still do it and they just to see what's new in the world and they can find several programs again they're not cheap but they are well worth it for sure Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've said this before and I do like the partnership. It merges itself really well when you have the nurse who has a lot of hospital experience, and then you have the paramedic who has the pre-hospital experience. And I know starting out as a new flight nurse, like I felt really good about that because that's where I lacked, you know, so you have the expert in kind of both the fields and then you learn as you're doing it over the course of several years, kind of, you know, both and how to be the expert in both, but, um, it's just a really good partnership of being able to apply that knowledge that you both feel so strongly in and then work together to do the best thing for the patient, no matter what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I still, to this day, if, and I tell people all the time, I said, I'm still not a hundred percent comfortable in everything we do, because if you get too comfortable, you get complacent. Yeah. And that's why I said just our education, we have to keep on doing education. And you brought up a good point, like seeing stuff. I, you know, I've done it several years on the ground. And so I kind of know what to expect from the ground, the fire department, the ground paramedic, what should be done. And in in a facility transports, you expect and kind of know what the hospital's doing and what kind of labs to look for. Yeah. So I think that's good that we can bounce off each other and it all comes together in a scene call where now I've gotten to the point of my education of what I am used to doing. And you step in and be like, Hey, Ray, let's do this, you know, vasoactive drug. So the blood pressure can come up and where I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that because that's not my specialty. And I forget we have it. And all the years I've been on the ground, I never had it. Yeah. So that's where the nurse kind of steps in. Yeah. Um, with that experience and it kind of comes all together and it's it's really good when it does it, it you know you look back on it and that's one thing you know you look back on everything and 
as long as you're always trying to learn, it'll, it'll always, you know, get better. Yeah. And it's, things are constantly evolving and changing in healthcare, especially in what we do too. I feel like since I've been out of the hospital for so long, there's new medications and new technology and new ways of doing things. So we have to constantly being, try to stay up on our game and what's going on and all the new things that are out there um, because we just don't see it as much as the people who continue to work in the hospital, or you don't see it as much as the people who continue to work on the ground. So it is important, you know, to keep up on education wise and constantly learning. Definitely, definitely. And I, it's, there's a lot of, like you, like you mentioned, and I've, I've worked with you for years and you, you go, Hey, Ray, I, you know, I haven't done this in a while. I'm, I'm lacking on this skill or I'm lacking on this knowledge. And that's before when I did kind of both 50, 50 of scene and inner facilities, I was like, ah, that'll never happen. to me. That'll never happen. Well, now I do more 70% in the facilities and 30% scene calls where I get on scene. and I'm like, wow, I haven't done a scene assessment in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't started an IV in a while. So it's a little rusty, but yeah, like, you know, and that's why we do scenarios. Yeah. You know, and it's important that we'll just go through a scenario and kind of in your mind be like, all right, we'll do this, this, and this. And because we do, you know, lose, not lose our education, but we don't, we're not on, we're not on top of it all the time. Yeah. I think it's important to talk about partnerships too, because we have worked together for so long. Um, We, we don't particularly work together very often now, but I think having a partner that you're consistently with really helps in your patient care because you're able to just do things fluidly. Like I know there's people that I work with where it's like, we still are, yeah, talking open loop communication with each other, but we know what's expected to be done. And so if I'm working on something, then that other person is working on the next thing and it just continues to flow really well. So um, what can you say about, you know, the importance of having a good partner and open communication and being able to work well with taking care of that patient? Uh, yeah, it's definitely when I get a new partner and I, I just say, hey, what do you like to do? What do you expect from me? And they tell me what they expect or they go, Hey, I'm really easy going. And you kind of, you really see after the first call, after a first scene call or a first transport in a facility, what they're going to do and what I'm going to do. And, you know, you can take turns on getting report. And that's, and that's another point is as a medic, we don't really get ICU reports, but it's good that you ask your partner, Hey, can I get their support? Obviously, like if I was, the nurse is going to be listening too, so she can, or he can kind of grab what they need to do mm-hmm. or, or the information they need. But I think it's important to really go through and, and talk about and debrief about the call and say, Hey, what can we do better? This and that. And, you know, it's just experience like with that partner and, and adjusting quickly on what needs to be done just know that if I'm working with you and uh you know you always do this if you're busy I'm gonna do that because Mm -hmm. you're busy doing something else so Mm -hmm. always try to get the get the job done as as quick as you can and as efficient as you can and then debrief after and after experience of with the partner you you know running calls um, all the time you're gonna find that flow yeah Yeah. And I want to talk about too, because, um, you know, we work with a lot of type A personalities and I would consider you and I type A personalities. So 
let's talk about um, times where we maybe haven't gotten along and how we work through that. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people understand who work in shift work and who work in healthcare and who work as partners. Like there's just some people you don't get along with sometimes and it hasn't always been smooth between us. So <laughs> I think it's important to talk about how we kind of navigated that. Yeah, I just took my battles to be honest with you. <laughs> no, um, we definitely, you know, there are times where we're, we um, have different opinions on different things. And and that's why you go, you ask me, why do you want to do that? And I tell you why. And you go, no, I think we should do this. And either one we're going to do is going to help the patient. We're just going at a different angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about it after. And we, you know, and we, but that's the thing, like, yes, we're type A, but again, I, there's some stuff where I am like, all right, fine. You know, they can do it their, their way. That's fine. It's being done. But, you know, we, I don't know. I don't know. Like when, <laughs> there's been times where we disagree and I just go, eh, all right. Uh, no, you know, you know, you remember specific times. We had a really big argument one time. I'm going to talk about it right now. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, I think for the most part, I think it's important one to point out that we're both type A personalities, but I feel really secure about working with you. Like I feel really good about um, times that you've been my partner and I never worry about anything when we're working together. So I think it's important to point out that type A personalities can work together um, effectively. And can you still hear me? Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I, I didn't catch that last part. Okay, I just said I think it's I think it's good to point out that number one, type A personalities can work together. I said that um, I feel really secure when we work together as a partner, and I think that we always get the job done. And um, there's never anything that I worry about. I don't have any hesitation or anything. I think that we make a really good team. Um, and I also want to point out that even though you make a really good team, sometimes I think you have um, quarrels with people. Like it's just natural. We work together long hours. We live together for 24 hours. Um, and then if you're consistently working with someone. So there was a time that we had like a communication issue before a call. And um we just had basically decided that we weren't going to run the call together because we couldn't communicate. This is how I remember it. You can tell me if you remember it differently. And so, <laughs> so we switched partners and I took someone else on the call and we ran the call. And then after that, I don't remember if it was that after that call or the day after we kind of debriefed and spoke about how we felt like we didn't have good communication. We were kind of pushing against each other. And I think we made the good decision in the end to kind of switch off who we were going to work with. I know that's not always possible every time, but I know I learned a lot from that. Um, I mean, I learned that to not be so hot-headed and reactive so quickly. And I think I think that made me realize like we can always be open with each other and that we're both hot-headed and maybe not to be so reactive. Um, so I learned a lot from that. But what would you say about that situation or what you remember? I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no what, what I remember about that is that 
<clears throat> there was a lot of that call was not initially for us. Yeah. And so what happens, especially our unique situation where we have three aircrafts in one base, people tend to give their opinions left and right mm -hmm. and think this way should do good. And we're the team that's going to be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but this person says we should do it this way. The pilot says we should do it that way. The nurse, the medic all have. So it was also late. It was 11 o'clock, 12. I don't even, I don't even remember. What it, it yeah, was I don't late. even remember what it was about. But <clears throat> that's where the frustration kicks in. And yeah, our communication wasn't the best. And I was just frustrated because I know you were trying to talk to others about how we'd get it done. And I just wanted to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I, my whole thing was I'll figure it out when we get there. As far as not patient care, but kind of transferring him because it was going to be a helicopter flying this patient to an airport further south because of weather, the helicopter couldn't do it. So they would that we would transfer that patient to the airplane and the airplane would take it the rest of the way. No, oh, that's right. And that's, yeah. And, and so all the, everybody's opinion, I just got frustrated. I said, well, I just want to get this job done. I want to get the patient there. Let's just go. And yeah, our communication wasn't the best. And, you know, you expressed some concern. And so I just kind of said, okay, you know, let's get someone else over here to take the call with you because, you know, this, we're just, I don't want to bicker back and forth the whole time. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah, uh, luckily again, there's uh, multiple clinicians there, but th it happens. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to happen because we're all type A, like you said, we get frustrated, we're tired, we're hungry. Um, someone doesn't bring their gum. We have to go you know, pee. Like, you need a whole pack exactly, of gum. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff happens. And, and if, and if it wasn't, it wasn't the safety of the call, mm -hmm. it was just us. And we, it, like I said, it's a unique base. So we had that opportunity to get someone in there that could run the call with you. And I know I met, I took the plane and we met you guys at the other airport where we helped transfer and everything like that. And everything went fine. The patient, you know, got the care they needed to, but yeah, it definitely, you know, you have to pick your battles, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, you, even though, even though, you know, we don't want to apologize or, or just say, Hey, it's our fault. Accountability is a big thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you, so if, you know, be like, hey, I'm sorry, I did this. And as long as your partner accepts your apology, it doesn't say you didn't mean it. Everything, you know, can go pretty good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, when you say the apology right then, you really didn't mean it. I can't believe you remembered that. Of course. Okay, well, for all the listeners out there, we have made up and it is fine now. And I think we both learned a lot from it and we haven't had the situation since then. But I think it is a good example that it does happen. Even with the people that you um, have a lot of respect for and that you get along with, like tensions arise and people get hungry and tired. And um, so it's really working on having that communication with your partner. And I think that was also a good example of keeping the communication between your team. Um, like, you're right, we do have a unique situation where there's kind of nine people that give their opinion. And from that, I have really learned as well as when a call comes out that I'm just talking about it with my team only, and that we're coming up with a solution and making the decision together that way without other people chiming in on it. So um, I, I think that was just a good learning experience and it happens like that's real life. It happens. No, absolutely. And that's where your professional, your professionalism comes in. Our professionalism is that 
you know, after the call, like you said, a couple of days later, we called or text, I don't remember, but we figured it out. Yeah. And we understood that we were both in a diff, in a situation where people were trying to give us different opinions. I was frustrated. I just wanted to get done. You won the, you know, pre-plan and I just didn't. I said, let's just go. Yeah. And, uh, um, and yeah, you know, as, as long as you guys are, as long as these people are accountable, you know, your partner and it, communication, like you said, is key. Yeah. Um, even treatment wise, like I tell new people that I precept, I said, Hey, tell me everything you're doing. I want to know when you're pushing the med. That way I have an idea of how much time I have until we do a certain procedure mm -hmm. or, you know, or, Hey, let's, we're double checking med. So we don't give the wrong dosage, always yeah. communicate. And even, you know, I'll tell you, Hey, I'm going to give me this bandage to put on, you know, here to stop the bleeding over here. And that way, and because in the helicopter, it's a loud, chaotic situation in the back sometimes. Yeah. And then you're listening, and then you have to call the hospital, listening to the pilot, you know, all this other stuff and making radio calls that it's important to communicate. It really yeah. is. And always debrief. If there's something on your mind, don't let, don't let it carry over to the next shift. Make sure it's squashed, it's debriefed, and, and as a team, we're going to fix it. Yeah, I really like that. I, I always recommend doing the debrief as well. I think there's always something that you can learn from every call um, and always something you could maybe do differently or better the next time. But I still do that to this day too. And I know that's why we work so well together is that I still will communicate, hey, 1301, I gave this med and this much, like I'll say it out loud um, so that I hear it for myself. I can note it for myself. And then my partner knows what's going on too. So having that open communication, the entire call is something I think is really important. And that's what I strive to do with all the partners that I have, um, whether I've been working with them for years or they're brand new. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I say, with all the new people we trained, especially the operations around the helicopters, just communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's, I've always kind of said this, I think it's harder for nurses coming into this position than medics because most nurses have never had to do a radio call-in. So they have the aspect of the radio technology, um, haven't ever done pre-hospital. I know it was a huge learning curve for me. So how, what would you say you know, about the partners that you have that are maybe newer or coming into um, flight nursing um, new, like kind of how do you deal with that situation um, and how do you kind of help them get up to par to where they feel comfortable working with you? Uh, so, yeah. So when I, I take a different approach for a paramedic and a nurse, so we'll start with the nurse. If I, if, if a new nurse is coming in and I'm trying to train her, I'm going to help them out. I know for the most part, they know how to take care of this patient clinically. Yes, we are autonomous. We can run off of protocols, but I know they know what a drip is or that, or, you know, so I focus more on like the, the preparedness and the operations around the helicopter. Mm -hmm. I, I, like you said, in the radios, cause that's one thing they're not used to. We're on as a medic, he's used to the chaos around the ambulance working with radios. So I focus on that stuff. And then with the paramedic, I focus more I will kind of talk to them and get to see where they are clinically, if they've flown in the past, if they have critical care experience or they don't. Mm -hmm. And so I start more clinically with them, making sure they know the basics of the ventilator, basics of medications, 
uh, at least the, the the really important medications in a you know in an instance that we need to do an airway for somebody and give them medications prior uh, they know how to draw them up and because in the field we don't work with a lot of different sedation medications so and again our vials were pretty much the same so yeah. it's important that you pull up the right amount of that medication so I go through that with them and then more of the uh, critical care aspect of uh, interfacility transport but operations I, I do hit on with them but not so hard first as I do a nurse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's interesting that you say that because I didn't really ever delineate it like that but I guess that is how I precept new nurses and new medics like just differently new medics I'm going to be talking about maybe some drips that they might not know or understand and we're going to kind of talk through it that way and then new nurses I really am focused on like this is the dance that we do on a scene call this is the safety that we have around the helicopter you know these are the things that we're looking for that's going on that um, fire might be helping with us or CHP and those are really things that they haven't been exposed to before yeah, definitely. And it, and I tell people, don't ever be afraid to ask a question because I'd rather have a question asked and it's a teaching moment right then and there or a teaching moment after than something yeah. be done wrong Yeah. or kind of guessing what should be done. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say to 24-hour shifts? Because I know that was kind of my hesitation going in. I had four small kids at home when I first started and... Um, you know, my husband traveled a lot. And so the 24 hour shifts was um, hard for me at first, but I guess you guys already do 24 hour shifts. Most ground paramedics do, right? Yeah. I mean, it depends what company you're at, but the company I was at here in the central Valley, they, um, yeah, they did 24 hour shifts. So I'm used to them. Um, and so, but when it was different, cause when I didn't have kids, when I have kids, it's, it's really different. Mm. Um, just because I have to pre-plan for their, you know, their mom's going to take them and pick them up from daycare. Mm-hmm. And now, as we talked about my planner, <laughs> I have to, I have to really. Paper planner. Paper, Let's paper just planner. put that yes. out there that you use a paper planner. Okay. <laughs> yes, the best way. Okay. Um, but I do, I, you know, I have to just can't say, hey, you know, I'm going to schedule their doctor appointment here. No, I have to get out and be like, all right, where can I schedule the kids dentist appointment, doctor's appointment? Or like, for example, you know, they have, if they have karate this whole week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and that's what I work. So therefore I'm, I, I can't take them, Yeah. you know, and their mom doesn't get off work to, for enough time to take them. So, you know, they're all their activities. I kind of have to plan around my work or I'm, they're just going to miss those activities. Yeah. And I want to speak on that too, because I have some clients, you know, a lot of their hesitation is that they're single parents and they're doing a lot on their own, whether they're working a job or maybe two jobs full time and they're doing shift work with long hours. Like, how do you kind of overcome that obstacle being a single parent and um, kind of taking care of your schedule and what you need to do and taking care of their schedule as well and fitting that in? I have no clue how I get through it. <laughs> no, um, paper it's, it's, calendar. <laughs> yes, yes, and I look at it every morning when I have coffee. Um, it is, it is. It's just all really planning. Um, you know, just it's it's difficult because when you work these long hours and, and 
during there are times of the season like during summer during spring it's gonna really it's already starting to get busy now yeah just because the fog's gone it's really not foggy so it's getting busy so if you have three calls during that day you have three charts and these charts last two three hours depending on the the severity of the patient yeah and you know i get home and I have to get, they know that when I get home, we have to be somewhere at a certain time. So I give them their clothes, I get them breakfast and I, you know, we have a routine that way. And then when I come home, I, you know, part of me is like, Hey, I can rest because the kids are in school. But then part of me is like, Oh my God, I have free time. So, you know, you, you try to balance that out, but definitely it's all pre-planning overtime you know, overtime's a big thing. Cause I say, Hey, you know, I want some overtime. Someone's like, Hey, can you work tomorrow? It's like, mm, no, I have to really pre-plan my overtime because yeah. I, I want to see my kids. I miss my kids. I, you know, like today I could have picked up in the, at night or whatever, but I really want to see my kids because I hadn't seen them in a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just about planning. That's, that's it. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. You're tired sometimes. And, and if, it's a weekend if it's a Friday and I get hammered at work, I have to come back on Saturday and just, you know, take them to the park or let them play outside. Or, you know, if I plan, Hey, we're going to go here today and I'm exhausted now. Well, you know, either if I can make it over there safely, I'll do it, get a hotel, you know, at the beach or whatever, and, and spend the time with them. Or I'll just say, Hey, sorry guys, we're going to cancel today. We'll go tomorrow. Yeah. And I think it's important to know, like, you know, you still have been able to accomplish everything that you've wanted to do. You, you're, um, you know, teaching EMT school, you're still working full-time as a flight paramedic. So it's definitely possible, you know, for those people out there who feel like they just can't do it because of their situation. Um, like, what would you say to them? Yeah, it is tough. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It is exhausting. Um, you know, when I was, when I was, um, trying to get my associates done and, you know, trying to work on my bachelor's, it, I would put the kids to sleep at eight, eight 30, and then just start studying from that time to about 11 or 12, wake up at five, get ready, get them ready. Um, so it is difficult. And really time management is your, is your friend. You have to do, you know, time management. And there's, a lot of times where, you know, you, I get frustrated. I'm like, well, I can't really socialize right now. Cause I got this, this, and this to do. So, you know, you just have to be honest with yourself be like, Hey, I can't go here. I can't go there. You know, I got work to do. I got the, it is possible. It is yeah. possible. It's just exhausting, yeah. you know, and time management, getting things done at the right time. And, um, you know, and if you have the more help you have, the better. Yeah just family support or, or friend support, you know, whatnot, yeah. it, the more you have is better. Yeah. Figuring out how to balance all of that is like really important, you know, making time for yourself, making time for your family and your kids and, you know, other things that are important to you, like, um, especially working long hours and in stressful situations that we are in, like finding the balance is, is something that you have to try to find. Yeah. And, and luckily, um, luckily our job, it is 24 hours, but again, it's not, hopefully not from start to finish. You're working, you have right. downtime. So downtime, instead of watching a movie, I would go in the training room and start studying Yeah. for that amount of time. So that does help. That did help me out where I had that downtime to study. Yeah. And, and that helps a lot in these 24 hour shifts. You can actually, you can get a lot done in these 24 hour shifts. 
Yeah. Last question for you. Like what's a piece of advice that you've gotten over the years that's really kind of propelled you forward in your career and where you are now? Uh, well, there's a, there's a couple things. One is like I mentioned before, you just keep on learning. I go to conferences still. EMS World Expo, Air Medical Transport Conference. I'm going to be going to a conference in May. Um, just continue learning. Don't ever stop. There's You never know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the biggest one I even tell the paramedics and EMTs that I teach is make sure you learn the basics before you start learning all that advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. If you have a good basic foundation of EMT school, of anatomy, physiology, everything comes easier. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's what I teach nurses too. Like do a basic, really good physical assessment because that will never fail you and whatever's going on with your patient. You do that right off the bat, then you know when something's gonna go wrong or something's about to go wrong because you have a good physical assessment to compare it to. And um, I know in nursing school, I really didn't want to be doing physical assessments and going head to toe, but like, that's what saved me a lot in critical situations, like knowing the difference of what it should look like and then what it's looking like on my patient. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, all the paramedics in the, in their school always want to jump to the advanced stuff. And it's, you know, how, how can we not get to where we need to do this, this, and that? What can, what can we do to kind of stop this patient from getting worse and having to put an airway in and this and this and that. So yeah. it's definitely, it's definitely a, a must. You have to know the basics because then you won't understand all that advanced stuff. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Well, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you being on this week and finding time to fit it in your schedule with your paper planner. That's um, right. And <laughs> never deletes. <laughs> how to be how to be on with us this week and I think you gave us some good tidbits some good advice um and you've agreed prior to this to be on the next webinar how to become a flight paramedic and how to become a flight nurse that we're going to do March 4th from noon to one pacific time so I really appreciate that yeah I can't wait for that all right take care bye bye